There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 40. Oh, the Nerdist Podcast turns 40. It's time for some kind of weird midlife podcast crisis where we try to finger a 19-year-old girl in a Trans Am. They still make Trans Ams? Doesn't matter, though, because here's some stuff that I want to throw at your ears. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank the group Fifth Engine, who donated this uh, wonderful music bed. The song is called Collapse, and uh, they are available online. The web. Same place you got this thing, probably. Uh, also, former Nerdist Podcast guest Scott Sigler, author, New York Times best-selling novelist, uh, has a limited edition hardcover of The Rookie. And The Rookie's, uh, Rookie's an alien sports book, so it's kind of a cross between Any Given Sunday and Deep Space Nine and The Godfather. If you go to scottsigler.com slash the rookie and use the coupon code NERDIST, you will get three whole dollars off the cover price. You can't get it in stores, so get your copy today at scottsigler.com slash the rookie. Uh, also, I will be telling jokes at the Brea Improv, October 21st to 24th. If you don't know what part of California Brea is in, you probably weren't going to go anyway. It is south of Los Angeles, by the way. Also, uh, I'll be doing shows in Atlanta, Georgia, and Addison, Texas in November. So if you want to be on the promotional street teams for those, just shoot me an email at uh, stuff at nerdist.com. And then the subject line, pick me in whichever one of those cities you're in. All right. So this podcast, um, Jonah Ray and I stormed Mike Burbiggs in his uh, hotel room in Hollywood while he was in town for a couple days doing a show. Matt Myra, unfortunately, could not be there because he had to be at work fixing computers where people like spill stuff on their laptop and they're like I don't know what happened and then he's like you spilled a drink on this and they're like yes so uh, he was doing that and couldn't be here at the podcast recording but Burbiggs is a great guy super funny uh, incredible work ethic and uh, we'll get more into that in the podcast Uh, so that is it the Nerdist Podcast number 40 with Mike Burbiglia often requested by you guys so now you can shut up about it Now entering Nerdist.com. Really? Go east on Sunset, you'll find... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's unfortunate because I'm... I have to stay in really comfortable hotels because I have a serious sleep disorder, and yeah. so it's really important for me to, to be able to sleep, feel relaxed, yeah. I mean, truly, you know, because it can be dangerous. And uh, maybe that's just an excuse for me to put myself up in really nice hotels. <laughs> where, do you, but, where have you stayed before? Um, well, I've stayed at the Roosevelt, which is even douchier. Yeah. 
Oh, is it the Roosevelt on uh, on uh, just down the down the road? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like they have the whole pool area. Uh, I know how douchey it can be because I have a friend that does yeah. DJ nights there. Well, I'll tell you how douchey it is. They shot an episode of uh, Entourage. Entourage. Yes. There. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so the it's official. It is. That's the stamp. They got the mayoral stamp. That's the stamp. That's douche. That's like that's like getting the government thing that says historical landmark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they the shot one, an Entourage episode there, you get the douche landmark. The worst though is when uh, like if you're uh, sometimes I'll watch an episode I watch every episode I don't yeah. know why but I'll, I'll watch every episode and see in a place that I like to go and then they're shooting there and I just go oh, oh man I, I can't go there anymore that place used to be cool it used to be cool man I'm so bewildered by Entourage you know because it's like I believe it's well written um, in a traditional sense mm-hmm. I mean it's got some funny parts and some rich characters I mean I particularly right. like the uh the, the brother character. Oh yeah, Johnny Drama. Yeah, it's just like so real. That's the thing. So That's why vivid. I think I like it because it's. Uh, I find myself forgetting that these guys aren't actually these guys. Yeah, yeah but that, how because they are the because they that, are. That's my problem with it though. It's just like I. I, I hate I hate hanging out with those people in life. That's right. So I don't want to hang out with them in my living room. That's yeah. right. But I will say I'm very happy about this. Is that when I was a teenager, uh, I was da- when I, no when I was like twenty. I was 20 years old, 21. And I was dating this girl, and she was an actress, and she was in this she was in this group of kids who were all like smarmy actor kids. And like when I think back of it now, it's crazy because it was like Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey <laughs> Maguire and this guy named Jay Ferguson who's on Mad Men. How now. old were you at the time? 21, maybe. Holy and then uh, and Kevin Connolly. And and oh. I, I always remember Kevin being like Kevin was such a cool dude. And you know everyone else kind of popped before he did, even though he was he did that on Happily Ever After show for a while. Oh. But I am so glad that he finally like popped on a show because he's such a good dude, and it just always makes me happy when like good dudes score. Like that sure. makes me very happy. I hope he's. <laughs> yeah. I hope. I hope he's. That's you should write that book. Swimming. Write that book when good dudes score. When good dudes score. Yeah. Good dudes score. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And you'll make a bunch of money off it because a bunch of guys who are into sports will buy it. Yeah, like it's just about their favorite football. But it's really players. just about the philosophy of being a good person and yeah. fun, achieving yeah. things. In life. Finally, something works out for a good-looking white guy. Oh. I mean, it's it it about time. time. It's heartwarming. <laughs> it's heartwarming when that happens. Well, you know, we had we had, we had a struggle for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really oh, yeah. had a struggle that like, legally we couldn't do a lot of things. Hundreds of years of strife uh, held down, held down by minorities, <laughs> and uh, we've finally yeah. broken free to become actors. It's funny that you guys can joke around about that, but I, growing up white, I did have some struggles yeah i grew up in hawaii oh and so i did have like racial struggles with the, to deal the with. local yeah the, um, yeah the local folks. clientele yeah joe was a portuguese guy who's white who grew up in hawaii he had a very interesting background yeah but like it's like so like it's funny because uh one time i got into an argument with a guy who was saying it's a there's this uh, kind of latino guy out here saying you don't know what it's like man you don't know what it's like growing up like i did yeah i said what you're latino and you grew up in southern california i'm white and i grew up in hawaii i think Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I, maybe I had less places I could go than you. Just don't I think the Latino guy didn't get beaten up by Samoans all the time. I think you actually might have had it a little bit worse. Yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> to get, but to get back to Entourage, I, I think it's well written. I think it's well acted, yeah. um, particularly in some areas other, more than others. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I just feel like it's um, culturally kind of irresponsible in the sense that I think people see it 
and I talk to people, and they go, that's what I want to do. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's, it, that's a joke. It's a joke that yeah. those are the losers you know what, though? who it's, you don't want to be. It's that yeah. thing, and it's interesting, and I think it's, I think it's part of the reason... I think it was one of the things that flipped out Chappelle when he was doing Chappelle's show. He was Absolutely. like, oh, fuck. No, no. The wrong people are laughing at this stuff for the wrong reason. This isn't supposed to make racists laugh. This is supposed to make yeah. fun of, of yeah. that. And you I, know, had, I had that happen once when... I. I, I don't know if you've ever heard I do a joke about uh, white people using the word cracker on right. stage yeah. and uh, and I liked the bit a lot I did it for a lot of years I did one of my specials but one time this guy came up to me after a show in Cincinnati and uh, and he was like he was like I'm with you man and I was just like oh okay. <laughs> I, go, what, I go what do you mean and he lifts up his shirt and he has a swastika oh, tattoo. No. Oh. I go, no, I'm not with you. We're not <laughs> we're together not, at we're all. Not the same. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, but, but I think that's inevitable. I think that, you know. You can't pick someone, your fans. Yeah, someone could read Uncle Tom's Cabin and just go, like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, fuck, fuck those people. It's you like, know? The, like, you know, if you look at, like, the man show, you know, when they started that show, it was like, we are going, you know, like they're going to make fun oh. of like douchey, ridiculous, you know, and then look who ended up being the fans of that, you know, yeah. like the the core demographic of that show. We were like, that would be hilarious to have tits that serve beer. Come on, yeah. yeah. So it's the same goes with bands, you know, bands like uh, a lot of bigger bands hardly have anything in common with their fans. Yeah, you know, just it's like Nirvana hated their fans. For yeah, the most part, no, you know? I, Belushi was tormented by people who loved Animal House, yeah. but like yeah, who loved that, Bluto. I'm actually really lucky in that sense. Is like I, I actually, I'm one of the few people I actually like my fans, and they're a small group of people, <laughs> and they're very loyal, and they come whenever I come to their cities, and and I always bring a new show, and uh, and I like them. Like That's when I do good. meet and greets afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I like these people. If, I, I feel the same. Like, I feel the same. These exact people way. kept coming out for years, and that's all my career was. I'd be thrilled. I know most mm. comics, most young comics, don't think about this, but I think, I think almost as important as you know, like just kind of finding your voice and figure out who, figuring out who you are, which isn't isn't as much of a choice. But I think it's very important to figure out who you want your audience to be. I yeah. think it's really important to figure that out. Yeah. Because then once you do, you can kind of start communicating with them, and then you won't be irritated. Well, that's by what them. you know. That's what you've been able to figure out in the past like few years. Like you've really figured out who you want to zero in on, and it's like really working out for you. Well, it, it was more that it was more that um, I just sort of started writing about stuff in a direction of things that I liked and, and it just attracted you. people that I would hang out with because I'm you know I'm out there shouting like these are things I like and then yeah, they're going. Yeah. We like this stuff too, and I'm like, oh, I would hang out with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I have to be careful sometimes because um, with political stuff, like I dabble in political comedy. Like I literally, um, I think I have one political bit on each album, and they're very short. Mm-hmm. One of them is about George Bush. It's a uh, hot being dogs. like the guy you invite to the barbecue because yeah, yeah. you know he'll start the wiffle ball game. He's <laughs> yeah, wiffle yeah. ball Tony. <laughs> wiffle ball Tony, that's yeah. right. Hey, wiffle ball Tony's here. And one day somebody's like, we're going to put Tony in charge of everything. And I'm like, we are? I don't know yeah. if that's such yeah. a good idea. He gets carried away. He starts, you know, like going into the neighbor's lawn, challenging them to wiffle ball games. I did this whole bit. The only reason I wrote that bit, I never wanted to do political comedy. The only reason I wrote it is I was doing a show in Pittsburgh. It's funny because I later found out that Patton Oswald had a whole run in politically in Pittsburgh too. Oh yeah, I, which um, I didn't know about. But I was doing a show in Pittsburgh, and the guy opening for me, and this was probably two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, 
he was doing all this like rah rah pro bush stuff. He opened for you? Yeah. Oh, it was just like the local choice. guy and, and 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 it made me like sick that that my show had this kind of like rah rah uh, pro Bush rally feel to it, right? Like cheering, but not even jokes. Like that's the thing is, when you've been a comedian long enough, you realize that like you can get people to applaud for all the same <laughs> the you have that the clap yeah. trap. Is yeah. that what you call it? I call it the clap <laughs> trap. Yeah, like when you say when you say something like, yeah, but this is the greatest country in the world. And so he was doing the clap trap stuff, and I was just like, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable with this. And so I was on the phone with my brother Joe, and I was like. I was like, I gotta come up with a, a, an anti-Bush bit that's better than his pro-Bush bit. <laughs> and, and I go, Joe, what do you think of this? And and, that, and we started riffing on the phone. I put it on stage, and then it, it bombed. And then by the end of the week, it was killing. And then that was a bit. And, and but but then but then the thing is, is like with Twitter, for example, it's so immediate that like the jokes aren't as well sculpted mm-hmm. on, when you write something on Twitter. So it's just out there, right? And so you're really not, it's not honed, it's not thought through. And so with Wiffleball Tony, conservatives and liberals actually could both get behind it because it, it, it kind of balanced, it was, it, I, I carefully honed it over the series of yeah, months. Yeah, and it's, also, it's, months. Also, it's also cradled in a context and Twitter does not provide that. Exactly. And so I actually had to stop just saying anything political on Twitter because people would just send me hate stuff back and I was just like, I don't want to be a part of this dialogue. It's just, yeah, not, it's just not worth it. That's what happens to Jen Kirkman like every day. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she just, she'll say something uh, like slightly political and then it's just a barrage of you know, uh, people responding, telling her she's a bastard. She's just so. she's my she's actually my special guest in uh, Portland, Oregon. I, I want to talk. I want to talk to you for a second about 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 Kirkman and then in your whole your kind of uh, comedic writing journey, which is it's so fascinating to me. And it's a story I tell a lot of people. I think I might have told it on this podcast a couple times right now. But uh, but I want to go back and I say and say I think that is the Patton Oswalt story from Pittsburgh you're referring to. Is that the one where he was on stage and he was. He was talking about Hitler and George Bush, and everyone was like, "Boo, get the fuck out of the stage!" And he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, you guys, you guys! I'm not saying that Hitler is like George Bush." And they're like, "All right." And he goes, "I mean, Hitler was elected." And they're like, "Fuck you!" Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they thought they were coming out to see, you know, adorable little Spence from King of Queens. And there's this guy with this vitriolic, you know, anti-Bush stuff. That's a tough thing, you know. And I even felt that way, uh, you know, you know. Very sad thing. Greg Geraldo passed away this week, and uh, and and I was on the internet, you know, looking everywhere, and I, it really hurts me when people write in the news, like it's on MSN, like insult comic Greg Geraldo yeah. passes, and I'm like, no, 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 he was he's a so social commentator, yeah. and he was just a brilliant, brilliant stand-up comedian, and the and the roast stuff, it was like he could do that in his sleep, right. That was something that he could do as like a like a parlor trick. Well, yeah. he had these. I mean, he had these. You know, if, if you get he, any, he was amazing on them, but it was like compared to his stand up, I think yeah. nothing. Compared yeah, I mean, to he would, you know, his stand up are these chunks of amazing runs where it's just. Oh, and I amazing. and I and I see, you know, I, I I see in my own stuff. You know, I'm definitely influenced by by his style. Oh of, yeah. You know, like not not giving the audience. You know, like or at least trying. I don't know if I succeed, but at least trying to not give the audience a break where it's just like, you know, like a constant series of punches to the yeah. to the chest. Yeah, and, that that track he does, "Happy Birthday." Do you know that track about the um, 
about how in every restaurant people, uh, uh, like, like basically the gist of it is like Americans are, are so self-centered that like, like, you know, when it's your birthday, everybody at the restaurant has to come out and sing <laughs> happy birthday. It's like the dishwasher's like, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. It's my birthday too, but nobody cares about all and, and it's like this really long run, kind of like what you're describing there. At the end, he goes, how old are you now? <laughs> There's this whole like political rant that's in, 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 in the middle of it, and then how old are you now? And it's just like so fucking brilliant. It's like a fucking, some of his stuff is just like a just like haiku or something, or, or like a one act play where it's just so perfect. I, I, I love Greg, and, and I actually, you know, I, I, as I've said on the show in the past, uh, you know, I every once in a while I get caught up in a Twitter fight. Someone will say something, it catches me off guard, and I'm. You know, I'm sending them DMs like, what's, the, you know, what's the deal with that? <laughs> Most of the time I let it slide. But yesterday, I uh, I had just found out about Greg and I, and I, and I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I was best friends with Greg, but I was decent friends with, with Geraldo yeah. and I've known him for years and, and, and I always, he's just one of those guys that whenever I would see him, I just genuinely felt like, ah, it's really cool to see oh, you. Like, you're such a good guy. That's the exact same experience. And, uh, and so, you know, I said, I, I sent out a, a thing, a tweet and it said, you know, like, this is fucking awful. And I, you know, he was one of the, I think he was one of the best comics of our generation. And some fucking guy tweeted back at me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not go too far. Oh, oh Jesus. No. And I had just found out and it, I was, I was, I was kind of like, I'm, I gotta let this go. I gotta let this go. And it just, the more I thought about it, the more it just started to slice me in uh. half. And so I, I, I sent this guy like ten DMs. I'm like, who the fuck are you know? Like, what is it? like the first, the first things that I wanted to say to him. The first things I typed were, you know, you are a fucking worthless piece of shit human. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not really the way to go. So I said, look. Greg was my friend. I feel this way about him, and you know, just your comment was really shitty. And the guy wrote, <laughs> the guy wrote back, and he was like, "What the fuck, bro? No one even knew who he was, and no one respected him." Oh, what? God. So I look at this guy's profile. Now I'm caught up in it, like a fucking idiot. I'm caught up in it. It's this big dumb sack of fucking mayonnaise with a goatee. He's standing on a dock holding a giant fish with his mouth. Both of their mouths are agape. Wow, man, he must be pretty awesome. And then I see, well, wait till you hear it. So in his profile, it's just like, free thinker, tea party, patriot. <laughs> ah, I was like, there you go. There it is. You're fucking slurring out. You know, you're scooping out hatred at people that you know nothing about. Like, who the fuck is this guy to say no one knew Greg? He's the guy, he fought, Greg Geraldo was the number one trending topic on Twitter yeah, all day. Yeah. Like, And this guy with, you know, no followers is like, no one knew you. And I should have considered the source, but I, and I literally, I was so, I don't know why. It really, it, it hurt me in a way that I was not prepared for. I let this guy get to me and I wrote to him and I was like, it literally breaks my heart that you would say to someone who just lost a friend of theirs, like... Hey, that guy wasn't that great. Like, do you go to eulogies and stand up and go, "Hey, that lady sucked." Yeah, just I'm just honest. You know, you should have just insulted the size of the fish he caught. <laughs> then I would have fucking tore him apart yeah. for days, for days. Anyway, I, I, I felt I felt really stupid about getting all, all caught up in it, but but um, with the exception of that one piece of shit, uh, there was a tremendous outpouring for Greg. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. 
he was uh, just a, a really terrific guy, and it's and it's really sad. His dedication to writing always uh, blew me away. I, I lived in New York for like two or three months once a while back, and I saw him a bunch of times during that time, and he just oh, every time had a brand new set, which seemed like it was refined beyond, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, even um, I was watching, I went online, I was watching clips of him yesterday, and there was one of him on Tough Crowd, where he gets into it with Dennis Leary. Dennis <laughs> yeah, Leary, that's like, a great. That's a great part. Where yeah, he turns Dennis Leary in the job. Yeah, exactly. But Dennis Leary kind of calls him out first. Like he's like he's like this guy comes with a pocket full of jokes to this show, and he's all, oh Dennis, actually that's our job because we're comics, we're comedy writers, <laughs> and then it just turns into like Dennis yeah. like retaliating and like and then. You know, like Greg just insulting him for a show, not being on the air anymore. The, is, fo- the follow up to that, I think, is Dennis. I'm not sure about this. I think Dennis called Greg or, or sent him some kind of note saying, you know, something like, like I, apologizing or, or whatever. Like it was, I think they actually came to a piece on that. That's good. That's cool. Well, I, I just hope, and I, and I don't know what the. Does anyone know exactly? I mean, I, all I keep hearing is that prescription pills were involved, but I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what happened. I mean, I haven't, I hadn't stayed in touch with Greg in the last few years. Really, I had seen, I'd run into him about a month ago. My mm-hmm. wife and I were walking to a movie, and uh, and uh, in Manhattan, and we ran into him. And I had just listened to his album Midlife Vices the night before, and just blew my mind. And I was just like that. I said to him, I was like, this is like your bigger and blacker. This is like your bring the pain. Like, this yeah. album is amazing. And and Greg's so humble. He's just like, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna, I just got to keep going. Keep wow. going, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just think everybody should listen to that album. It is so yeah. good. I mean, he, he was so he was so good at at saying, I said this on my Twitter thing, but he, he his comedy, if you, if you look closely at his comedy, it really sticks up for the underdog mm-hmm. in a way that is um, not always done in comedy. That's always what frustrates me in comedy is when I see... I, I like... you know I, I support almost any stand-up comedy except when it's somehow kind of bolstering the status quo. Right. Is when I get frustrated. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, that's not really the point. And, and it's, it's just kind of easy. And, and, uh, and he was... He just had so many bits that that this spoke spoke up for the littler guy. Well, no, and I remember because uh, you know when I when around the nine eleven uh, time, I, I lived in New York, and the first comedy I show I, I saw after the towers fell was at the Comedy Cellar, and Geraldo was on stage, and he fucking slaughtered, and and he he took it he took the whole oh, thing yeah. on, and it wasn't I mean it wasn't. It, it could have been. It was maybe a week or so. I think. I feel like Evan's show, and and then because the whole thing was about like you know these terrorists were going to die, and they're, they're going to have seventy two virgins, and Geraldo was like, "Why the fuck do you want seventy two virgins? Like, have you ever fucked a virgin before? There's a lot of crying and apologizing. It's terrible." But so he went off on this whole thing about about like about about just you know, like what fucking idiots they you know they took they they took everyone's lives in the name. I mean, it was really. And everyone really like the audience needed it. They needed it, and they were so into it, and they so appreciated it. Like rather than you know someone just kind of coming up and being like, "So the subways are weird," you know. I mean, like yeah. he he was definitely a guy who was not afraid to you know just sort of go head on. He took on the truth all the time, you know. He's and and he um, 
He was relentless. Yeah. And, More and, than comics that say they do that, yeah. uh, did that, you know? It's like, like David O'Doherty said on our show, he's like, you can't say yes. you're controversial. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can't yeah. find you yourself can't yeah. controversial. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> It's like he's not, he wasn't the kind of guy who says, like, hey, I'm just speaking the truth here, everybody. I'm just saying what's on everyone's mind. It's like he didn't. He just said it because that was the, you know, it was fact and it was. Yeah. Yeah. He never wrote his own bio and said, this guy's breaking the rules. (laughs) He creates the rules and then breaks them. This guy's taking no prisoners. (laughs) It's always like a ridiculous concept. This cat needs to scratch. Who is taking prisoners in comedy? (laughs) I don't uh, (laughs) know. Where is this dichotomy between prisoner taking and no prisoner taking? I am on the it's the Chris Hardwick uh, prisoner taking tour. All right, Uh, uh, it's all the same crowd for every tour. You just take them along. You get on stage and then the doors just shut. (laughs) Okay, you're all my prisoners now. Uh, I'm gonna take you prisoner. Uh, But I but. Uh, Does that mean you kill everybody? Is that the idea? <laughs> that you have take to kill everyone. Yeah, you yeah. have to you murder. Kill. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you murder everyone. <laughs> so you go on stage and the door is locked, and then you put the gas mask on, and yeah. it's like, what's going on? And out of the air vents, that yellow. <laughs> and then you take that whole gas comes out. Yes, everything goes down. <laughs> if you rephrase it, it wouldn't be as popular of a phrase. It'd be like, this guy murders everyone in the audience. Like, oh no, that's not what I want to be involved with. Or at even all. just if you tweak, this guy imprisons the audience. <laughs> Entirely different. Entirely different. This comic believes in the death penalty, so come on out. This guy's not afraid of torture. (laughs) Strap yourself in, or he will. (laughs) He'll waterboard your funny (laughs) bone. Well, um, so I want to. I want to talk a little bit about. I want to talk a lot about you, actually, because you're one of those guys that you know, like you're the, the two examples that I always think of of comedians who who take on writing. I, I kind of feel like the way it should be, which is like, well, it's your job. You need to write. It's you and Seinfeld. Like, you and the two guys. <laughs> yeah. and so, the two of us always get lumped together. <laughs> oh, and I hate it! <laughs> you, you, almost got, you almost got the Seinfeld show, but then they gave it to Jerry because his last uh, name is Seinfeld. But, yeah. but there, Jen Kirkman... Thank uh, you very much. That's oh, such a huge compliment. Well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. But it's, it's, it's always been very inspiring to me because I have difficulty sitting down and writing, like... You know, from a set period of time, and I get sidetracked, and I'm like, no, I don't know what to write down. And a few, I don't know, a few years ago, Jen Kirkman and I were talking, and she said, yeah, several years back. She had she had Chardonnay and a cigarette and a cigarette holder. <laughs> and she's a talent agent from the 50s. There I was. All right, me and the Put some lipstick on your nipples and uh, smile. <laughs> but uh, uh, so she said, you know, years ago, you had kind of approached her and you're like, we need to get an office and we need to go to this office <laughs> and we need to write every day because this is our job and it's important. Yeah. And she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And she said, so, so Mike that was, went... That was probably 12 years ago. Mike, Mike went and did it 10 years and ago. she said your act uh, grew exponentially you know, as, as a result of that. So what, you know, what inspired you to do that and how did you do it? Well, I had moved to New York and... Um, I was living in Queens, in, in Astoria, in, in this very small apartment that was shared. And I was, like, temping in the day, and then I was doing shows at night. And, and often, you know, these shows, you know, it goes till <laughs> 1, 2, or 3 in the morning. You're, like, you're like in someone's attic of their apartment, like, yes. you know, like Surf Reality, where it's like, do you ever play Surf Reality? In no. The it's like, oh, man, it's like, I mean, it's essentially like someone's apartment in their 
chairs around and 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 you you're performing for five comics yep. and 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 you know it's kind of this pity laughter and they're laughing at the wrong things on purpose <laughs> to <laughs> sabotage you and you know and it's it's just uh, uh, miserable and then I'd, I'd I and then I would go home and then I would I would be writing because after you perform you write more and mm-hmm. and because you're thinking about it and you're like I got to get this this idea down for this tag and this and this. And then I'd be up in the morning at my temp job, and, and I was like, it was I was going crazy because I was I was writing all the time, and I was like, I need to to have a separation between my life and and my writing, and mm-hmm. so I was like, I gotta I gotta find like an office, like a shared office or something, and that's where I write. And so it was actually um, uh, I, I was I asked around a few people who I was in touch with, and and, and the person who got back to me and said that she did have an office share was this woman named Col- Colette Burson who co-created uh, the show Hung. Oh, uh, I love that show. With her husband, Dimitri uh, Lipkin. And, uh, and, and they, and he, who was a playwright at the time and, and she was a, a filmmaker and, and they just had this office downtown and, and it was really like, I don't know, even know how you describe it. I mean, it was just kind of like this, this relic of of uh, like the like an industrial part of town from the seventies, where mm-hmm. like they kind of forgot to 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 raise the building, uh, <laughs> and it was just kind of there, and they kind of barely even knew it was there. It's actually raised now. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's just a parking lot now. Um, when they kind of figured it out, but but so I so she you know she said we're you know, we you know for. A, Few hundred bucks a month, you know, you can have this part of this office. You can have a desk and that kind of thing. So that's what I did. I worked. I worked there like every day. That's and how, how soon before you started to notice? I mean, there are a couple of points I want to hit. Number one, it's it's kind of like breaking through writing walls, which you must have had to do at some point. And and number two, uh, how you know how soon before you started to notice? Like, oh, I think this is actually having a tremendous impact on my on my stand up. Um, well, I still haven't noticed that. <laughs> um, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't think there was a point where it, it, it ever felt like it was ge- it was gelling or anything. It was just what I did, mm-hmm. and, and and I always felt like I was behind the eight ball, like we all feel. You know, you always feel like you're not writing enough, and you're right. not producing mm-hmm. enough, and and so that you know that's how it always felt. But it was actually the the, the idea of it, the kernel of it, came from. Um, my writing mentor in college was this guy named John Glavin, and uh, he was actually the namesake of. <laughs> this is kind of an obscure piece of trivia, um, you know, Memento. Yeah. Um, the character's name is John G. Oh. Um, one of my uh, students in my class was was Jonah Nolan, who wrote the short story <laughs> that became Memento. All right, all right. And, um, and he named the character John G. in in honor of uh, John Glavin, and. Uh, and he was just this, he's a, you know, like a Dickens and Shakespeare scholar and just a brilliant, brilliant guy and really giving to students. And he was, he's kind of a drill sergeant in terms of the amount of writing that he demanded of you. I mean, he was the kind of guy who, you know, if you're a minute late for class, you know, don't come to class. Oh, you know, you'd, you'd show up and he would just go, no, no, go home. Go home. <laughs> wow. No, no, we, we don't need you here. He was as bad as Mr. Hand, huh? Mr. Hand. <laughs> Wait, who's that? Is that Those fast times. Fast oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he, and, he, and he, he was, you know, he was that tough and, 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 
the amount of writing that you had to do in the class was way more than you could possibly do. And and he, but he always taught us that you know, um, you know, things that like Woody Allen would say about writing, and, and and other great writers would say, which is that it's in it's in the the, the craft of it and the discipline of it that you become. A, a, a great writer. It's, mm-hmm. it's not in the natural genius of, <laughs> of that you're that you're given. I mean, it, the uh, you know, there's a lot of brilliant people, and you know, there's how many people come up to you after shows? And they're like, I want to become a comedian. Oh yeah, and always. The truth is, a lot of them could be great comedians. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like this thing where where they're lunatics. A lot of them are really, really smart, really funny people. As long as, as long as, yeah, I mean, like, if you're, if you're moderately funny and you have an, and, and you're disciplined and you have a good sense of, like, this is working, this is not working, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've gone with jokes where I'm like, I don't really understand why this is funny, but people <laughs> seem to be enjoying it and other stuff that I thought was hilarious bombed. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of times, I don't know if I'm the best judge of what's what's going to be funny or not, but I throw it out there and just kind of, you know, like play the slice. Like if they, you know. Yeah. yeah. I was once uh, like about two years into using a joke that I always did well, and then I had this weird couple months where all of a sudden I didn't know why it was funny. And I, yeah. and I, I started. Oh, yeah. I've being, had that so many times. Yeah, just all of a sudden I said it, and then after the show I was like, wait, I don't think it makes sense. Uh, and, and But I'd already been saying it. It had already been killing. But I just... Lost what the meaning was. They yeah. were just words at this point. Yeah, and then I stopped using it because I just didn't feel I didn't have the knowledge that. Have you ever? There's this weird experience where I, I have jokes that I've started out with and they've done okay, but for whatever reason, the chemistry of my getting more comfortable and confident with them has made them like bits that like that crush. Like I've, that, oh, that, yeah. that, that weren't, yeah. it, and it's something. It just, it, you know, there, there's just this weird element of like, if I'm comfortable and kind of committed to, you know, to it, it just, it just, they connect with it a little bit more, you yeah. know, than if yeah. I'm pulled back from it and unsure about it. Well, I think that's actually when a lot of comics who I admire like kind of broke through when they when they got to a point that they're writing so much and they're performing so much that everything that comes through the prism of the Bill Cosby character, oh, yeah, the yeah. prior character, yeah. the Woody Allen character, just is great if you buy into that. Yeah. If you buy into them, you buy into everything. I mean, I had that with Stephen Wright. He's the first comic I saw alive. And I had that thing where I'm not even able to laugh this hard anymore. <laughs> where like, where like you, but you hear people say this, it's like, I was laughing so hard, my stomach hurt. Yeah. yeah. My mouth hurt hurt my throat hurt <laughs> I had that when I saw Stephen Wright I was because I bought into it I yeah. was like oh I totally get this guy yeah and it always it always kind of makes me jealous that I don't uh, have a, I mean I think most people do a sort of kind of character of themselves on, on themselves on stage but the fact that I like that I don't have that and like a, like like a character like Stephen Wright was definitely yeah sure definitely a character. Although I've never met him, but people say that he actually is like that. He kind of is. I talked to him on the phone once, and it was it was sort of it was it was almost maddening actually because there'd be these long pauses, and until it was until it was a second past uncomfortable, and then he would start to talk. So I was constantly <laughs> like. Should I say a thing now? Or do you wanna... I ran into him in Vegas once. I didn't know he was performing. I just happened to be at a hotel with some friends, and then I saw him, and I, I had to tell him that I, you know, enjoyed him so much. 
Um, and then like he ended up talking to me for about 45 minutes. But it was probably about a good 50 minutes worth of conversation. Like, I, I kind of figured he wanted to leave, but he like just stood there and kept on asking me questions. Wow. And he was a very, very nice guy, but very, you know, very slow going. Like, yeah, very like, and then asked me if I did comedy. It was just like well, the sweetest dude. And then gave me passes to a show that night. Did you go? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I, I met Joan Rivers the other night. Oh, that wow. was like really moving. Was did she you nice? see her movie? No, I'm dying to yeah, see her movie. Everyone says movie. it's great. Her movie. It's called. Um, uh, I'm forgetting. It's for some reason I want to say I want to be me, but I know that's not it. No, it's it, and it's the same title as her one woman show that she talks about in the film, but. Um, <clears throat> it's. I found the 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 film to be so moving. I'm looking. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And because she's doing a joke about Helen Keller on stage. Oh my god. And uh, in at a casino in Wisconsin, I think. And and this guy goes, uh, "That's not funny." He goes, "I think it's like." He goes, "My daughter's blind," you know, or, or whatever. It wasn't. And uh, she goes, she was like, I'm paraphrasing. He's like. Uh, because I'm not a tape recorder. Um, <laughs> uh, she's like, no, that's why it is funny. She's like, we talk about things in comedy that we're uncomfortable with. That's what comedy is, so fuck you. Wow. <laughs> oh my God, that's that's awesome. awesome. It's a, a piece of work, isn't it? A piece of work. Uh, yeah. and, yeah. I, and I started crying. Oh, wow. It's so powerful, yeah. the piece of film uh, footage. and. And I told her that, and she was so sweet. I mean, and such an incredible comic still. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny, because I saw... My, my parents used to take me... To, we used to go to Vegas all the time, because my... It's a long story. My dad was a professional bowler, and Vegas is a big bowling town with a lot of bowling conventions. And So we, I used to go see a lot of shows when I was in Vegas. I saw Steve Martin in Vegas in the oh, 70s. Wow. And then we... I, you we, did? I did. I saw him do King Tut. It was crazy. Wow. And then... Um, we saw, uh, we saw Johnny Carson, and Joan Rivers opened for him. And then after the show... Like, we saw her in the casino, and we stopped and talked to her, and she was so nice and so sweet. And it was so amazing to me, because then, in the, in the later years, it just... The whole thing with her daughter, and the, like, yeah. shitting on people's clothes yeah, yeah. and stuff, yeah. it was just like, oh, no, what yeah. happened? It's so, funny, because um, Eric, uh, the art department guy at uh, Comcast, yeah. at E, you know, um, he's working on... He's the art department guy for her show now, her E show, Fashion yeah. And he says he's so stoked beyond it, because he just... Watches her and just in between takes, she just becomes the. She's just like making jokes with everybody, being like really nice and just joking around with everybody, being hilarious. Everyone's cracking up. Everyone has to settle down between takes because she's making everybody laugh so much. And she's just like the sweetest person. It's funny, I, I, Chris, I had a similar reaction over the years. I always saw her like on QVC and Mm -hmm. and on E making fun of people's outfits, and I was always like, I don't know about her. but then you see this movie and you're like, oh my god, she's such a part of comedy history and is such a trailblazer. Yeah, yeah, and then you she see really her, was. You see her, li- you see her live and, and, it, and it really drives that home. I, it, I always, I always, uh, and, then, and then you think like, well, you know, she she takes these jobs, you know, these these fashion police jobs or whatever because yeah. she probably gets paid a shitload of money and it's, yeah. it's you know like it allows her to do stand up at a pace that she's willing. I always refer, I always refer to those jobs because I've taken many in my time. Or it's like. <laughs> The comparison I make is like it's like a it's like a, a vampire who's living on like a, a, on a, a transatlantic ship and he has to eat rats to survive. <laughs> like I always think of those shit of those jobs as like this is not my first choice, but I'm just eating this rat so I can survive, so yeah. I can get you know yeah get to where I need to go. So I'm I'm, I'm I 
I'm glad you mentioned that because I gotta find that. I, I, maybe I can download that movie. And, and uh, she was saying actually, she recommended to me the movie I Am Comic. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Jordan Brady's movie, yeah, which she said was she loved. It was phenomenal. I saw it. Uh, I saw it at Cinefamily here, and um, it's uh, it's it's great. Jordan did such a great job with it. I, I'm in it for like 30 seconds, but uh, but but everyone else who's in it is amazing. Like uh, the whole Rich Scheidner thing is incredible. Like his art, yeah, and then just hearing comics that you love explain you know like what even though some of it is, is sort of you know remedial it's like well a set is made up of yeah. chunks which is it's still no, fascinating to watch it's it's like, yes it's so great and you know like there's times. so many great people in it um, Patch, yeah. Blaine's in that right Blaine I, Patch I think he might be yeah uh, it's I, I am comic movie I think is the website so but, uh, I, they asked me to someone asked me left me a message when they were shooting that to, to be in it but but it was just this cold call, and it was just like, if you want to be in this movie, call me back. We're shooting today, or whatever. Okay, uh, no. And you, it, well, you get so many phone calls about so many documentaries and so many uh, web series and so many things. You don't know what's what. And you want to be nice, but at the same time, if movie. you did all of them, you would never have time to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so, do you find that when you, when you first started writing twelve years ago, you were kind of writing every day? I feel like when I first started out as a comic, I had tons of shit to write about. Did you have you found that in these, you know, in this last decade or so, that you still have a lot of shit to write about, or is it sort of some days? Is it like, yeah? I mean, l- lately, you know, I did a one man show called Sleepwalk with me, mm-hmm. which which became, is the book became. Yeah, well, it's it's the. I, it's so pretentious to say the word titular. Um, <laughs> it's the titular this story. Is a podcast. Of, uh, <laughs> title line. <laughs> it's the um, it's a it's a book of funny stories, and it is one of the chapters of a book of you know fourteen chapters. Um, and uh, and the, the yeah, but the the one man show. And the book is called Sleepwalk with Me and Other Painfully True Stories. And um, Sleepwalk with Me was a one man show that I had worked on probably for about six years um, before we did it off-Broadway mm-hmm. last year. And then, and and I'd worked on with my director, this guy named Seth Barish, who I had kind of hunted down. Like, when I when I decided I wanted to write a one-man show, I, um, I saw all the one-person shows that were on and off-Broadway. I saw I Am My Own Wife and Bridge and Tunnel and... This 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 one which was my favorite was called the tricky part. It was kind of Martin Moran did, and so moving and so funny and just so simple. And I was like, I need to talk to that director. And it was this guy Seth Barish, who's the artistic director of this theater company in New York called the Barrow Group that puts out tremendous plays. And and I kind of stalked him. I mean, it was I was I was relentless in terms of like trying to con- convince him to have a meeting with me. And uh-huh. I kind of showed him what I had, sprawled out on a table. Like, here's my comedy CD, and here's the, here's the script I wrote, and here's the this. And this is the flux capacitor, which makes time travel. And uh, and he was. Uh, I think the thing that sold him on with me was he, he listened to my my self released CD at the time, which was called Dog Years, mm-hmm. and, and he liked. The kind of, I don't know. I, he he said he liked the kind of patience of it that it wasn't kind of like in your face mm-hmm. comedy. And and then we started working together and doing sessions. And then you know probably five years later or whatever we do it as a show. And we it ran for eight months in New York. Mm-hmm. And so the new one man show that I'm working on is opening in New York in late late January, early February. Um, you know, assuming that 
we're all here and, and uh, <laughs> it's hard to plan for the you future never know. that's kind of a morbid way uh, of thinking about it and, listen uh, so I'll see you next week well we'll Maybe. see yeah. Yeah. Hey, you want to have lunch with next week if, if I don't die yeah. if you don't die if okay barring the apocalypse or uh, some unforeseen event <laughs> right. I'm going to be doing this new show which is called My Girlfriend's Boyfriend and that's my new one man show and and so uh, I, I kind of these days I think in terms of, of shows mm-hmm. uh, instead of thinking of like joke to joke to joke. It's, mm-hmm. And and I'm working on a screenplay adaptation of Sleepwalk with Me oh, nice. with with Ira Glass as, as uh, one of the producers. That's fantastic. Yeah. So has, <laughs> that's what I was working on when you guys showed up. Is I was working on a script for that. Nice. Has um, getting uh, like the, the This American Life appearances and just the NPR appearances has that really grown your audience in a way that you wanted? To I, have? I think Bob and Tom probably helped a lot too. Yeah, both of those are huge, and um, they're just opposite ends of the spectrum. They are. Yeah, yeah, they're very different, but. Not many but people do do both. Both excellent in their own ways. Yeah, I think I'm the one. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who's, who's love, straddled I, those I love, two. I love Bob and Tom. They are such fucking great guys and brilliant. Oh, yeah. They're brilliant in their strategy. Bob and Tom are these guys. They're based out yeah. of Indianapolis, and they're syndicated in about 200 markets. And they basically figured out this formula that you could... You could kind of go into these redneck towns and dominate radio there, uh, you know, that, that didn't really have anything else. And so... They have comics on, and they let comics be funny, and they're very generous to the comics. And not only that, the, I mean, <clears throat> over the years, they've, um, they've. Te- I think sometimes they get the reputation. I think Stern's made fun of them for this before, which is I haven't heard, but I've just heard other people say that he has. Is that you know they just bring on good comics? They're not funny or whatever, and it's like they actually are really funny and have tagged a lot of my jokes on the air and yeah. like can I use that you know well and, and not only that but it, it takes a good it takes a comedy savvy person to know like how long to let a comic go on yeah. and figure out the beats and then like you could say the same thing about Stern like well he just has whores on <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> he just has whores and midgets yeah. on and they, but, yeah. they shit onto things I, yeah exactly so I mean I don't <laughs> know if that's really a fair comparison I mean I, I love Stern but I, I but I think I think Bob and Tom have done a tremendous service to you know comedians particularly if you know if you tour in in the Midwest yeah. at all yeah no the Bob and Tom and This American Life have both been just such a huge help for bringing people who, uh, you know, for people who, my, my goal has always been like to, to do shows where, where people are coming to see me on purpose. Yes. Because it, if you're just part of the comedy show, I mean, yeah. I've heard this point made by a lot of people most recently, like Mark Maron made, I heard made this point. It's like, there's no, there's no kind of thing where, you go tonight. It's music night. Yep. You know, it's, there are many types of music. It's, yeah. it's it could be death metal or classical. Yeah, people yeah. don't understand. They don't get this. Don't understand. Yeah, comedy's really grouped together. And, and so people often go to uh, comedy clubs. And and you know, when I was starting out and I started headlining clubs, um, you know, often people were very disappointed that I would be the main event <laughs> and they and they would kind of go like um you know you're you're talking too slow you're too quiet you're not you're yeah not, it's your problem yeah 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 you're, you're you're not like um you're not like energetic enough and i'm like you know that i'm a lot of this is um some purpose i'm like doing this on purpose is kind of my thing like this is what i i mean my thing with comedy is i've, I've always liked 
um, as an audience member, because I love going to stand-up comedy shows, as an audience member, I just like to to not feel pressure from the comedian to laugh. Mm-hmm. I hate that when you go to a show and you can feel the comedian being tense right. on stage. Like, I gotta get this laugh. I gotta get this laugh. Yeah, but then right. there are certain people who just you know set you at ease. You know, like Mitch Hedberg, I thought was amazing at that, where he was just so kind of his own thing and because he was so comfortable in his own skin as this mm-hmm. completely unique being you know uh, that you were just like this is awesome like i'm just lucky to be here i always i mean i always i've always had this idea that good comics uh, relate to an audience but great comics draw the audience in to relate to them and he was th- he was definitely one of those guys Definitely one of those guys. That's a good way to put it. But you do that too. I mean, like you know, you 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 draw you draw people in as as well. But I know, like I was was just in Florida this past weekend, (laughs) performing for mostly not my not my crowd. And uh, but you know, for the most part, the shows were going well. Mm -hmm. But one show just wasn't great. wasn't terrible. Yeah, but just wasn't great. There were three bachelorette parties. I've had that show before. Like <laughs> the energy was scattered, but I thought it was going okay. Like yeah. I was just going to chalk it up as like, eh, this is just one of those ones you get yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. And this this big fat guy at the back of the room just goes, uh, he shouts out. This hasn't happened in a long time. He shouts out, "Why don't you tell a funny story?" Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and something in me just kind of snapped. And, and 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 when I when I look back, I'm like, that was really stupid. What I said. Immediately, I go. One time, this big piece of shit at the back of the room interrupted my set until security dragged him out and threw him on his ass. <laughs> and and then I, it's the second that came out of my mouth, I was like, "That was really dumb." I, I don't know why I said that, but the, the guy like loved it. Uh, yeah, that guy involved him. Right. And he, that is, he, a, good, yeah. that is awesome. a good story. And he really yeah. was a big piece of shit. Yeah, I had I, it was in Tampa. It was in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, it was I had a terror. I had some terrible shows in Tampa. <laughs> People are always writing me emails like, "Why don't you come to Florida? Why don't you come to Florida?" Then I go to Florida, and they're like, "Maybe you shouldn't come to Florida so much." <laughs> There's something about me in that state, and also Texas, that's like very precarious. Except Austin, I'm sure. No, I'm Austin's sure. great, yeah. and Dallas is great. And people <laughs> tell Texas. people tell me that Houston's great, but I've I a long time ago I had kind of general comedy show nights that were not great. In Houston, yeah, I opened for Bill Burr at the Houston Improv several years ago, and I didn't find it to be incredible. But yeah. you know, again, it's I don't know if I was performing for my crowd. I was not as good of a comic back then. Actually, I was doing shows with Firm in there. We opened as Hard and Firm. Mm-hmm. So it really didn't. It really didn't score big. But um, that's you know. Sometimes you never know though, because they could be there for Bill Burr. It's, and you know, it's like a ska band opening up for Slayer. Oh, Bill's another one of those guys that you just watch him, and it's like watching. It's like watching a fucking conductor in front of an orchestra. Like he just. He's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he could. He wills the laughs to happen. It's a. It's. It's. A, it, you really get the idea that's. He's in control, and he could just—it's like I don't want you to laugh here, but I'm going to want you to laugh here yeah. just for a little bit, though, so I can get this punchline out. Not only that, but like he, like again, like he and Geraldo are in that same sort of group of guys who would, and and Louis C.K. is another guy too. They're, they're guys that that anyone less skilled with the with the kind of stuff that they're saying and taking on would totally turn an audience against yeah. them, yeah. but they manage to. Yeah. They, they manage to just kind of like grab the audience by the throat and be like, "No, fuck, you know, you're gonna fucking take this." Yeah, no. Yeah. And the audience does. Like, you watch the audience become subservient to them. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, Bill is so good at taking something 
at just challenging the audience <laughs> to laugh at something that is so beyond the pale. You're like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm laughing at this. But up in Montreal, so well up in Montreal, the one bit that he was doing was about like oh the Rihanna bit. <laughs> yeah, where, that, where that one made me like, cringe. So, 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 yeah. like, you know, you say there's never a reason to hit a woman. There's sometimes there's a reason. Yeah, I like, know, I and know. This, you can just feel the audience's assholes just go like, oh, yeah. But he, he fucking that whole thing. He, he turned had, it around. He totally. Yeah, and the, it. that um, that bit he has is so funny about, you know, how o- he was watching Oprah and she goes. The hardest job is to be a mother. And he's like, really? The hardest job is to be a mother? He's like, there's there's guys putting out fires in oil fields in Iraq. Do you think being a mother, do you think that guy would want to be a mother? Or do you not think he wanted his job? It wasn't even the comparison was something about like uh, ice road truckers versus I had to make oatmeal or something. Yeah, I had to turn on a. Teletubbies video or whatever. It's just like it's uh, again. We're paraphrasing. Paraphrasing, We don't want to to butcher people whose brilliant bits. But holy cow, he just he just turns stuff on its head in such a good way. Do you find that uh, um, when you look back at kind of the body of your work, do you do you see an arc? You know, like do you feel the do you feel the growth? Are you writing deeper than you than you used to, or how have you seen your writing change? I'm I'm trying to, you know, and. you know, part of that is is working with people who are great, like you know Seth, and I work with my brother Joe a lot, and and uh, working with Ira Glass is incredible. Like on those pieces for This American Life, mm-hmm. he just does this thing that where he we're talking through a story, and he just digs deeper. Like what's under that, you know? <laughs> and what's under that, and what's <laughs> under that, and and I find myself in in actually the whole book of Sleepwalk with Me and other painfully true stories is really a collection of stories where it's it's all stories that I was not comfortable saying out loud. That for, was that, for years. that was a turning point. Like didn't you wasn't it like you just kind of brought your journal on stage and started reading from it and you're like, "Oh, I didn't realize this was yeah. supposed to be funny." Yeah, I mean a, a lot of it was like um after I think it was after Two Drink Mike came out, which was like 2006. Um I was on tour. I did a Comedy Central live com- co- college tour called the medium man on campus tour as opposed to the big man on campus the medium sized man and uh, and uh, actually Geraldo did some dates mm-hmm. as a special guest on that tour and and, uh, and yeah and I w- what I was finding was that when you put out an album and I, I didn't anticipate this at all is that all your fans from that point on know those jokes? <laughs> and they don't. They don't want to hear them, um, or some of them do, but right. maybe in an encore. Or, but they don't want that to be the show because right. they know that show. And and so there was definitely kind of diminishing returns on this material that I had honed for years and years and years. And that was when I started putting on stage, like you know, stories I had written in my blog on my Secret Public Journal, which is my blog, and stories that I had written in the Sleepwalk With Me show, which I had written as a one-man show, and I never thought it would work in a stand-up comedy setting. Mm -hmm. But I actually found when I put those stories on stage that they'd have legs pretty fast. You know, because they... Not because they were carefully written jokes, because they weren't, but because I think that ultimately people want to hear stuff that's close to your heart and Mm -hmm. stuff that's real. And, And I think that... 
and I would improvise. A lot of times it would be like you tell a story and then it's like because you're you're trying to live for the next laugh, you just find a punchline. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like I'm telling the story about, um, you know, having a tumor in my bladder when I was 19 and you're like, well... I gotta find a, a joke in here, uh, and you know I had a joke in, in that story, which is like you know I had a tumor in my bladder uh, in, when I was nineteen. But it's funny because um, I'm a hypochondriac, and I think the funniest thing that can happen to a hypochondriac is that you get cancer because it confirms every fear you've ever had in your entire life. You're like, see, I told you. Remember last week when I was overtired and I thought I had rickets? I was probably right about that too. There's gonna be a lot of changes around here, you know. And, and a lot of that stuff was like, was I would be on stage and, and you know, you talk about cancer on stage and a lot, everybody knows someone who's had cancer right. and it ain't funny. Right. And so you're like, I gotta make this funny fast. Right. And, I, and I think that that's, yeah, I've heard this talked about a lot, but you know, there's, they were talking, my wife told me they were talking about this on The View the other day is, is that, a, you know, a lot of comedians, they're either people who had to make things funny at home because things weren't always so funny at mm-hmm, home or mm-hmm. they had to entertain one of their parents who maybe wasn't as happy or you know that kind of thing and, and I and I think that you know comedians we are, we are, we're often kind of working on our feet and just going how do I make this funny fast yeah, yeah. and I think that that's that, that's what I, I, I've been striving to do in the last few years is like what's, what's the least funny least comfortable thing for me to talk about oh, that's a really great approach I never thought about that before you know something because I feel like with my own writing, I'm kind of going through a point where I'm kind of getting tired. Like, I, you know, I have this chunk that I've been doing for a while, and and, uh, and I feel like it's about other things, and, and a lot of it's not really about what I, you know, like me, really. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, but you're, you're a great example of someone who's figured out how to go inward, like, rather than, I'm going to write about what's out there, as opposed yeah. to like, nah, I got to go... I gotta go subterranean and, yeah. and, and go down. What do you do when you, uh, you know, when you're when you're kind of in writing mode and then and then you just hit that wall where your brain just it just feels like there's a rock in front of your brain and you can't do. You, do you oh. take a break or do you? Oh, push? you you mean every day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every which moment. Should, you mean the morning time it happens, <laughs> the, the afternoon morning. or the, the nighttime version? <laughs> which which one do you want me to speak do, to? Do, do you literally just write stuff anyway and go? Ah, this is probably terrible, but I just at least I'm writing. Or do you? Do I, you... I, I I really trick myself. I, I, it's like you know how when you're. Um, when you're a kid and they, they write you write on yellow paper yeah. in school and yeah. then eventually you get to write on white paper and you're like <laughs> promotion white paper's huge you can't fuck up white paper white paper is forever <laughs> you really do think when you're a kid white paper is forever I mean, that, but that, those, those fat ruled like that dash line in the middle is gone like the training yeah. wheels are off oh yeah yeah, yeah. and no and you, and you even have to do your own margin with a pencil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yep. the ruler yeah. and the pencil. And it's, not, it's not fucking kindergarten anymore. No, no, like, no, no. It's going to be in a time capsule at the Smithsonian. <laughs> exactly. um, you have to put your name and class number on the other side, smaller on your own. Yeah. yeah. There's a format. Just so you know, the poem you're writing about rabbits is going to be at the <laughs> Smithsonian because it's on white paper. Yeah. Hurry up because we got to encase it in glass. Uh, so someday in the future they can go, apparently these rabbits enjoy carrots <laughs> <laughs> um, so so like 
a lot of times I have to, I, and I really think being a comedian, particularly starting out, but in my case still, mm-hmm. is about d- deluding yourself and, and, <laughs> and telling yourself something is going well when it's really not going well, <laughs> because otherwise you wouldn't get on stage again. You'd just be like, I guess human beings don't like me. Right. Because you know, it's not like a play or a movie where if people don't like it, they can go, well, we didn't like the set of the costumes of stand-up comedy. If people don't like it, they're basically saying, we don't like you. Right. You Everything know, you're, your yeah, personality. Right. right. You know, and, and who you are, what you say. Yeah, yeah. The temper of your voice. This whole thing. That's <laughs> oh, a bad combo. This whole thing yeah. isn't working for me. <laughs> Um, and, and that's a hard reality to face. And that's why I think comedians in some ways are a little delusional and a little bit ill. Uh, because we have to just go back up and, and, and fail. It's a weird, up, it is a, it is a weird thing yeah. to keep doing. But, but, like, ah, everything's great. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. Yeah, and, and, and so I think that in order for me to, to, to write as much as I do, this is so funny because I write, I'm writing a screenplay right now um, and I'm probably 20 drafts in you know it's like so many wow. drafts I've been working on it for a year and a half Jonah just grimaced like oh my yeah. god 20 drafts 20 drafts, drafts. 20 drafts. And, uh, and 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 I and it, I still have the convincing myself it's yellow paper I save every time I'm starting a new draft I, my save as is sleepwalk with me experiment <laughs> <laughs> Experiment. 20 Experiment. That's very uh, scientific, though. That's very scientific yeah. of you. Yeah, and I, I still do it. I did it yesterday on the airplane. I'm 20 drafts in. I wrote experiment. Oh, maybe wow. this maybe this thing will work out. Let's roll the dice and write 20 drafts. And, and then what I do is I tell myself that if the experiment doesn't work, then we'll go back to the last draft. Right. You know. So, yeah, I still do it. That's my yellow paper. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, Sleepwalk With Me is out now, or is it coming Sleepwalk out? With Me and Other Painfully True Stories comes out um, in stores um, October 12th, which is a Tuesday, and uh, and it's on Amazon pre-order now, which if, if you really like me, do that, because then that'll make it be popular. Uh, Truthfully, I think, I think you're more, I think people who listen to this podcast are more inclined to buy it on Amazon anyway. Yeah. Um, they don't like the out-of-doors. They don't like yeah, to yeah. go out-of-doors yeah, and yeah. go into... Brick and mortar environments. Yeah, yeah. and and, and I, the uh, it, and it, yeah, it's uh, so yeah. I, I got nothing. Well, I would I would I would love to have uh, so these shows. <laughs> by the time this goes up, which will be uh, in about a week and a half. Oh, um, actually, when it comes out, actually, it'll be perfect. This will go up the this will go up the day before your book comes out. Oh, great. So this this actually works out pretty well. Great. But but you're in LA doing some shows at the UCB oh, Theater. That's right. Well, yeah, but I'm. So those will already happen. Those will have happened, but I'm doing one at the Avalon. They were great. You're doing, oh, you doing a show at the Avalon? I killed. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I'm doing a show at the Avalon, which is, I believe, October 21. Oh, that's in great. In Los Angeles, yes. Wow. yes. So the UCB shows were destroyed. And yes. they carried you out and threw oh you into God. a pile of I treasure and pussy. so hard tonight yeah. and tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Everyone at Birds was talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, do you find that... Do you, uh, do you like to talk to the crowd a lot? Like, were you ever interactive with the crowd when you were um, doing clubs? When I do theaters, no. You can't, really. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Because it's completely lost on yeah. the rest of the audience. And people who try to talk to the audience 
learn that the hard way. And I probably <laughs> People did. sitting up in the balcony yeah. can't see the, yeah. the one guy's uh, shirt that you're making fun of. Yeah, those, those early Spalding Gray uh, yeah. audience interactions were not good. Yeah, yeah. just going to do some crowd work. The <laughs> audience is not mic'd. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so what he said is, you're a douchebag. So, and then what I said was, no, no, you're a douchebag. Yeah. Recapping. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see that sometimes when a guy does a crowd work and it's just like, uh, what do you do? And, you know, the person in the front row says, oh, oh I, I work at a bank. He's like, really? And then it's just no one else can hear this. Yeah. Like, they're not. Yeah, yeah no. I, yeah, I've but, seen that happen but, a bunch. But, you know, when I, I, I pretty much... I get my shows ready in clubs to to bring to the theaters. I think theaters are the white paper, yeah, and clubs are the yellow Without paper a doubt. in a lot of ways. And, and I and I do interact with the crowds, um, particularly. I, I don't go where you're from. What do you do? Mm-hmm. I, it's more like uh, if I say something, like in in my last one man show, um, you know, I have a story that. Is very compromising where I'm clearly in the wrong, where I'm like, you know, cheating on my ex girlfriend. And, and I'm not saying in like a, yeah, so I'm cheating on my ex girlfriend. No, it was like a wild departure. It was like a low point, and I'm, I'm trying to get that across. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times people, uh, when I was workshopping, I'd go, ooh. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and, the least and, and, and then I would, and then what I would do, and it was actually really helpful, is when I had a very, vocal response like that I would just be like I'd be like yeah but you know what what do you mean by that like when you say ooh like are you like upset are you mad at me or are you you, do you understand that it's like a human mistake and a thing and we're all humans and they'll respond you know and I'll be and we'll kind of talk through it what do they say because I always feel like People listen to about every fourth word, and then they hear some buzzword, <laughs> and it's not in context, and then they just go, "Ooh, you shouldn't have said that." And you're like, yeah. but you're not really paying attention. So what did they? What did they say? Yeah, I mean, like, I well, my audiences, I I like a lot, and and I I find that they're pretty, um, you know, they're 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 pretty lucid, and and um, they'd be like, um, they'd be like, you know. You know that's uh, it, that's just not funny. You know, and I'm like, I know, but I, I, it's part of a larger story I'm trying to tell. And you know, and and we would really have a conversation. You know, like it's important for you guys to know that part of the story because I'm I'm trying to explain sort of how like the mindset that I was in in this part of my life, and it, it's it's important for context. And, and and they'd be like, oh, it's just I just don't. They'll be like, I just don't think of you that way. Like, I don't want to, you know, and, 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 and so, yeah. I think when you, I, I think the more I think about it, it feels like a comedy show is really a, a place where, an, uh, like, it's like a safe room. Like, an odd, the audience wants to feel safe. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, like, some comics will get by and just kind of referencing things. Without really kind of jokes, and we're just yeah, like, yeah. You remember know, pogs, remember pogs, or remember funyuns, or whatever. Yeah, and, and then people laugh, and I, but I think, I think, I think in laughter, there's kind of a, a it's like a release of tension where oh, absolutely, they kind of they hear something they recognize, and they're like, oh, that's in my brain too. We're all on the same tribe. Oh, Everything's okay. Yeah. I'm safe. Yeah, yeah. And so, sure. and so, I think you know those moments where people are like, ooh, it's almost like you're stepping outside their safety zone for a sec. But that's great that you actually have a conversation with them because then you can. Pull him back in and be like, no, no, come on, kids, let's all crowd around and fuck it out. Get back on the carpet. Come on, get back on the carpet. And it helps a lot. It helps a lot because I can identify 
what's the part that is making them feel alienated mm-hmm. and, and what's the part that they can identify with. Because I, I think often, like, as comedians, we kind of go towards the stuff that just kills in this really broad way. Like, yeah. I'm writing my new show right now, and... and um, and I was writing this joke, and a lot of it was, like, riffing, but it was, like, um, you know, about how... the It was about, like, the simplicity of um, of sex for, for men and how men and women have a very different uh, relationship with sex. And a lot of times when I say this um, with my female friends, they'll be like, we, we like sex just as much as you do. And I'm like, yeah, but it's different. And they're like, how? And I'm like... Have you ever masturbated while driving a car? <laughs> and like, I want you to think about that, and then I want I want you to you know talk to your closest male friend, and I want you to compare answers. And like, that was a joke that I, I really liked. And, and but then I had the, like this other riff about how like um, you know like because like it like with like it's it's a real sex is a real knee jerk thing for men where like it, you know if you ask a guy to have uh, sex they'll just be like yeah you know of course you know and 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 then women will, will be like um you know and you know I, i'm really interested in, in 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 having this necklace and they'll be like yeah i'll get you that like i have a job i have like a job and i, I will hunt I, and I'll, I'll gather yeah, to bring you that stuff for I, I've they give me money at this job so that I can do that and then I'll then we'll have sex. When are we gonna have sex? Like soon? Like when can we make this happen? And like and you know my wife actually kind of and, and some friends of mine kind of pulled me back on on the second part of that like the like the um, the part about men having a knee jerk reaction to sex and, and they'll they'll have sex whenever wherever um, because. You know, a few of my friends were pointing out, like, that's not actually entirely accurate to the male and female experience. That it, that that for a lot of women, they actually get frustrated in the other direction. That mm-hmm. that in fact, um, you know, in relationships, they've wanted to be the person who wants to have sex all the time, and they feel shunned because the male doesn't want to have sex mm-hmm. and they feel like it's a reflection on them or you know and so i really kind of in my in my new show i i really go go through the bits and i and i and i tr- i try to make sure that nothing i'm saying is is actually um you know i don't know how you describe it but like uh, uh like uh, in, 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 like i try not to have anything be emotionally dishonest right but I, I think like the the masturbating while driving a car thing for me that passes the smell test. Yeah, <laughs> because the audience is just like completely goes nuts when I tell it, and it, and it really is split down the middle. And I've and I've talked extensively. This is, this is how sad a comedian's job is. I've spoken extensively with both men and women about masturbating while driving a car, and over. Overwhelmingly, I've found that men have masturbated while driving a car much more often than women. Much more. Have you, uh, let's throw it around here. Yes. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, three for three. No, you yeah. know, the, the sometimes you drive by a chick and, you, and she's in another car and you're like, is she down there playing the washboard? But ultimately... She's yeah. digging through her purse but between I, her legs, you know? That's what they're doing, looking for a lipstick. Yeah, a little lipstick. But uh, but ultimately, I think what we can derive from this is that 
Mike Babiglia, you are a comedy scientist. I, I point. I put all the pieces together. You work like a scientist. <laughs> you 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 do research like a scientist. You tirelessly edit and re-edit like a scientist. And you even call your drafts experiments. You <laughs> are a comedy scientist. I even call my drafts experiments. That's a really good. Thesis. You're a comedy. I'm, you 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 like. If you had a lab coat on, I would be like that. I'm, that's it. Yes. I get it. This I think we found a new character. Stage persona. Yeah, yeah. That would be if if if, if I were an '80s comedian. Yeah. I would. Uh, I would have. I would have. You know, the lab coat on. Vaguely yeah. Doc Brown hair. Yeah, Doctor Mike. Yeah. No, it's and it's funny because like it just so happens that the comedy scientist would be the worst actual scientist imaginable. <laughs> I mean, talk about, like, the worst science student uh, uh, in the world. I mean, I was just off. I, I almost failed high school chemistry. I remember that. You don't need it. Yeah, I don't need that crap. No, I, I guess that's right. I, I, you know, I don't think of it as science as much as, like, sociologist or, like, a anthropologist. You're just, like, trying to... Understand people, you know, and, and trends, and, and how people think. And in psychology, I guess, is the other one. You try yeah. and try and think through how people it's make, just, make you know, decisions. Like understanding people, and then being able to digest that, and then uh, spit it out, so other people can understand those other people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we're at the uh, we're kind of at the end of the hour, and I don't want to I don't want to keep you, but um, this has been a fantastic chat. Yeah, I, I, this, this is great. So much fun. This is great. It's kind Thanks of what so I like much. about like being able to talk for an hour is that you really sort of get to get get a sense of someone's brain, which is yeah, which is really fun. And I can see two copies of uh, Sleepwalk with Me and other painfully true stories, which by the time this comes out will be available uh, Tuesday, October twelfth. What's ridiculous uh, about this is that this I'm sorry this is right. this is my copy and um I I've been I'm not done you've been you know, oh my God. yeah yeah I, I have um I have crossouts and <laughs> I, I have a hard copy and people see this in the stores um the you know I I literally have like you know editing carrots and Jeez. and crossouts and I I'm still I'm still editing um different parts of the book and it's never going to be reprinted. I mean, it's, there's no one's ever going to make these changes. It's just that I can't stop, which is, which happens to be one of the chapters of the book. The charming charming thing is is like year after year you release, you just self-release another copy that's like, but this copy is abridged. abridged. I can't can't stop. stop. Page 111. It's one of the chapter titles. It should have been the longest chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I think I can't. I can't stop because I'm. I I, I don't feel qualified to be in, in comedy, and and I feel like I have to just overachieve and, and maybe. Well, if that's, maybe your, I'll if earn that's my your process, keep. that's fine. But you're pretty well qualified to be yeah. in comedy at this point. Thanks for saying so. Um, Let's read the book here. Let's just uh, let's just make the audio version right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> chapter one. Uh, I don't like this word, so I'll replace this word with another word. Uh, uh, cool, man. So uh, online, where uh, is it? Just MikeBerbiglia.com? Yeah, sure. Okay. MikeBerbigs.com, yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for having us up to your uh, swanky entourage-style W hotel room. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah bro. Sorry, hey, bro, man. you want to go down and get some mimosas, look at some tail? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. He's on, he's on his way. <laughs> Johnny, you got to get to this. Blah, 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 turtle. The end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.
This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.